In her essay, On This Shining Night, Unitarian Universalist minister Rebecca Parker shares about one of her darkest nights of the soul, which took place early on in her time as a minister. She had spent a year in grief, mourning a lost love, grappling with having had an abortion, nursing a broken heart. As days passed, her grief grew heavier. Time was not healing her sorrow, and she spiraled deeper and deeper into despair. She dutifully showed up to perform her responsibilities as the minister of a small congregation in Seattle. But at night, she couldn't sleep, and she found herself pacing the halls and weeping. Her despair and isolation came into crisis one night. Here's the story in her voice. I was past living one day at a time, or even one hour at a time, and was down to the question of whether I would be willing to continue to live at all. In the depths of that sadness, I decided to stop pacing the hall. It was after midnight. I left my house and walked down the hill to Lake Union. The city was quiet. My face was wet with tears as I set my course toward the water's edge. I was determined to walk into the lake's dark coldness and find there the consolation that I could not find within myself. At the bottom of the hill, the street ended and the lakeside park began. And I walked across the wet grass and climbed the last rise before the final descent to the water's edge. And as I crested the rise, I discovered a line of dark objects between me and the shore, a barricade that I was going to have to cross to get to the water. I didn't remember this barricade being there before, and it was so dark that I couldn't tell what I was seeing. But as I edged closer, I discovered it was a line of human beings hunched over some strange-looking spindly equipment, telescopes. It was the Seattle Astronomy Club. <laughs> there they were with their homemade Heathkit telescopes and their top-of-the-line sharper image telescopes, dressed in their Gore-Tex backcountry gear and tennis shoes a whole club of amateur scientists up and alert in the middle of the night because the sky was clear and the planets were near. To make my way to my death, I had to get past an enthusiast in tennis shoes. <laughs> he assumed that I had come to look at the stars. Here, he said, let me show you, he said, and he began to explain the star cluster that his telescope was focused on. I had to brush the tears from my eyes to look through his telescope. And there it was, a red-orange spiral galaxy. Then he focused it on Jupiter, and I peered through to see the giant glowing planet. I could not bring myself to continue my journey. In a world where people get up in the middle of the night to look at stars, I could not end my life. 
I know there is grace because my life was saved by the Seattle Astronomy Club. Grace is an unbidden, unmerited gift that surprises us into wholeness and connection, if for only a moment, and shines light onto the sacredness of life. Rebecca Parker found herself invited into awe toward the mystery of the universe, caught and held in those tensile strands of human relationship, not because she had planned it or worked for it, or earned it, but it just happened. The gift of grace that reminded her of hope, beauty, and human goodness, a gift that offered her way out from rock bottom. Grace breaks into our lives in all different ways. It can fall into our lap in the midst of life's heaviest experiences, when we discover the fault lines in our lives, we witness the ground beneath us shift and swallow everything stable and normal, and we are left wondering what on earth will catch us. Grace can also brush our cheek in the most common, everyday ways, as Jane Kenyon reminded us this morning. I got out of bed on two strong legs. It might have been otherwise. I ate cereal, sweet milk, ripe, flawless peach. It might have been otherwise. I don't claim to know where these experiences of grace come from. I don't believe in a God who is doling out rewards and punishments. Grace is a mystery, and yet it happens. Grace can't be earned or bought or deserved, but in my experience, it is very real. And the more that we are open to grace, the richer life becomes. So if an essential part of the nature of grace is that it's not something we can earn, request, or deserve, do we have any role, any agency in the experience of grace at all? Is it possible to push grace away or to entice it in? What would it look like to cultivate a life that is more receptive to grace? Last Saturday in our Pathway to Membership class here, 18 people got together to learn more about membership here at First Universalist, to learn more about our history, our mission, and to share their religious journeys and hopes. And early on in the class, we got together in pairs and responded to this question. How do you hope that being a part of this church will change you? And I could see that my conversation partner was taking this question very seriously, but his response surprised me. He said, I don't know. How could I possibly know how this church will change me? And then he went on to share a quote from psychiatrist Alfred Adler that had been a guidepost in his life. It goes like this. There's a great danger in life, and it is indeed a real one you may take too many precautions. There's a great danger in life, and it is indeed a real one. You may take too many precautions. What I heard him saying was that the most important way to engage on his journey in this church was to be as open as possible to transformation, 
And this stood in marked contrast to all of the clearly defined spiritual self-improvement goals that I had rattled off. <laughs> Albert Borgman, a philosopher of technology and a theologian, has given great thought to the problem of too many precautions when it comes to our experiences of grace. Borgman believes that the advent of modern technology and our hyper-individualistic, self-centered culture have tricked us into thinking that we have stopped needing each other as much as we do. We live in a society that increasingly insulates us from the fundamental contingencies of our own lives, shielding us from the reality that we are all living on fault lines, that much of life is wild, unpredictable, and very dependent on forces outside our control. Our collective focus on the perfection of the self and the maintenance of control and comfort are the very cultural practices that are destroying us. Not only do our smartphones, workaholism, and upward striving keep us from nurturing deep relationships with others, not only does our focus on comfort and control propel systems of racism, oppression, and inequity, not only does our desire for ease and convenience drive the climate change that is destroying our very habitat, but for Borgman, our appetite for control and comfort makes our lives less hospitable to grace. In his words, there is a definite occlusion of grace in the cocoon of self-indulgence. Our cocoons of self-indulgence can block grace from shining into our lives. Borgman's spiritual prescription is to get in touch with the fundamental contingencies of our lives, to put ourselves in situations that remind us that we are not in control and to help us remember that we are actually held in a web of life that is often torn, but always healing. Because here's the thing, a consciousness of our dependence and interdependence are core aspects of religious experience. On so many levels, we are not in the driver's seats of our lives. Our lives and the lives of everyone we love depend on forces and circumstances outside of our control, and this is terrifying. And this is also where awe, wonder, and gratitude begin. Grappling with our relative individual powerlessness, with our dependence and our interdependence, is the birthplace of the religious impulse the reality that moves us towards rejoicing and lamenting and brings us to praise and prayer. Leonard Cohen famously saying, there's a crack in everything, that's how the light gets in. If we want to invite the light of the sacred to shine on our face, we need to move closer to the cracks in the carefully constructed facades of control in our lives. Around this time two years ago, I was at the Unitarian Universalist Ministers Association Center Institute, 
which is basically a continuing education conference for ministers in our religious movement. And I was in the midst of a search for a ministerial position. And this conference was one stop on a schedule of interviews that had me flying all over the country. And I was on a very tight, controlled schedule. I walked into the first day of the class that I'd signed up for at this conference and I spotted a familiar face. It was one of those situations where you know a lot about someone else but they don't know who you are and you pretend to meet them for the first time. Maybe you even pretend that you don't know their name when you actually do just so that they don't think that you're creepy or anything. <laughs> so here's what I knew about this other minister. I knew she was awesome. I knew that she had been an intern at the church where I had attended as a young adult and everyone loved her. I knew that she had graduated from the same small seminary as me a couple of years before I started and I heard about how promising and talented she was. And then in seminary we were required to do a year-long church internship and she ended up being my good friend, supervisor and mentor. All year long, all I heard about was how kind and supportive and smart she was. Now we're sitting next to each other at this conference. And her name is Jen Crow, by the way. <laughs> I believe you're acquainted with her from this morning's worship. So I mentioned to Jen that I'm in the middle of this ministerial search process and I'm looking at these minister positions and all these really small congregations and all kinds of far-flung places. And she mentions that the large congregation she's serving in Minneapolis, which is one of my favorite cities, is looking for someone to head up membership in adult ministries, which basically sounds like my dream position. I get butterflies in my stomach, my heart starts to beat faster, but I play it cool. <laughs> oh, hmm. This was not part of my plan. And so after class, I headed over to a restaurant by the ocean. We were in Florida. It was nice. Um, <laughs> so I headed over to this restaurant where I'd planned to meet with someone to learn more about another congregation, a congregation that my husband and I were really, really hoping would be a good, a good fit. And so I was sitting on this bench facing the ocean and the sun was starting to set and the sky was turning a beautiful pink. And for the first time in that whole day, my time was unscheduled. My mind was loose and I was just sitting there waiting. And I just kept waiting. And then in the distance, this silhouetted figure appeared again against the sunset, walking towards me from the roaring ocean. And it was not the person I had planned on meeting with. And out of the 500 people at this conference, it was Jen Crow walking <laughs> towards me. <laughs> walking towards me from the sunset in this almost wincingly cinematic moment. <laughs> and I remember very clearly having this thought, I wonder whether this is about to be the moment that changes the whole course of my life. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> and it was. And here I am with you. 
The way that our paths crossed was an amazing gift. It was an experience of grace. Now, I don't want to draw too clean of a line between any actions I took and the fact that this gift landed in my life, this gift of being here with you. And I don't even want to pretend that this story is about me really leaning into life's vulnerabilities. I know that I don't have to tell you that life gets so raw and painful and scary in a way that is the furthest thing from sitting quietly on a bench for someone at a conference center. But I do want to stick with this image of sitting on the bench and waiting and facing the ocean, the roaring, powerful wildness of life. What might happen if we create some space, if we dared to pry our faces away from our phone and our email, if we left empty spaces on our calendars, if we dared to loosen our grasp on our lives and set aside our fear, our fear of change and hurt and people who are different from us and God forbid, boredom. And we put ourselves on benches in unfamiliar places and waited. What gifts might we encounter if we purposefully did things that reminded us of the fault lines in our lives, that we are dependent on each other? that our actions or inactions have an impact on the shape of the life that we share. I know a place where we practice this, here at church. I don't know about you, but I come here every Sunday to get reoriented, to remember that I am not the center of the universe and I am called to respond to the exhortations of love and justice. Look at what we do here regularly to purposefully interrupt the false narrative that the ultimate value of life is in comfort and control, to remember our sacred connection to each other and to all creation. We show up for each other in times of crisis, when illness and tragedy strike, during breakups and job loss and addiction and recovery, in the depths of grief, we bear witness to each other as life's fault lines open up and we are there for each other in recovery. We gather in these small groups we call circles with friends and strangers asking deep questions and listening for wisdom. We are preparing to invite families experiencing homelessness into our church, hoping that this building can feel like their home for a time. We are boldly stepping into racial justice work that asks us to hold painful truths together, that asks white people to sit with discomfort and disorientation so that we can create healing and justice together. We're committing to eliminating religious education fees so that we may not only offer the gift of grounding liberal religious education to everyone who wants it, but so we can be transformed for the better by the people whom this welcomes into our community. This is the sacred work of the church. This is what we do here. We are each other's Seattle Astronomy Club. 
turning each other back towards beauty and connection, reminding each other to trust the tensile strands of love that bend and stretch to hold us in the web of life that's often torn but always healing. We are those strands of love. May we have the courage and spiritual maturity to step outside the cocoon of our self-indulgence, to set aside our precautions, and to place ourselves closer to the cracks in life, to those unfamiliar wild places that grace might shine on our faces and move us toward greater love and deeper living. May it be so, and amen. <laughs>